Hello, everyone. Welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is Margaret McSweeney, your host, and I'm broadcasting from my kitchen counter. I hope all of you listeners out there survived the storm, this Midwestern storm that ripped through the area. I am counting my blessings. I'm not under a tree today. Our neighbor's um, huge tree and their yard crashed across our driveway just moments after I'd gone up to get the newspapers. So I'm counting my blessings today, and I'm counting you listeners as a blessing for joining me in my kitchen. And I'm so excited to introduce you to our guest today, Rachel Hawk, who is an author, prolific author, and book therapist, and just a wonderful person, and I can't wait to hear her recipes. Rachel, welcome to Kitchen Chat. Hey, it's great to be here, Margaret. You know I love it. <laughs> oh, it's so wonderful to connect. Have you experienced any storms this summer? No, we haven't. Actually, Florida, I live in Florida. It's been pretty dry, and I was seeing on the news yesterday that they were saying we still need so much more rain to get our water levels back up, which is kind of crazy because we're below sea level. But oh. um, usually people start talking, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a tropical storm? Or I'm like, <laughs> no, not really. So we've been getting our afternoon rains, which I love, which is a beautiful thing about Florida, morning sunshine, afternoon rains, but no major storms yet, thank God. Well, uh, yes, and that's good because that's right. It's hurricane season, and it is I hurricane it, season, right? Yep. I think it might be helpful to listeners since I was without power and learned a quick, quick lesson. I mean, I, I've really been fortunate in all the years having lived here. We're on well and septic, and we have not lost power. But there's a real challenge in terms of. Uh, cooking and and not being able to use your shower or even have water um, because it's based on a well, and even to be able to you know flush a toilet during during an outage. Um, what are some survival guides you can offer to um, the listeners? You know, having been through hurricane season several times there in Florida, what are what are some tips you might provide? Yeah, that's a really thing you have to be prepared for at all times. In fact, we just moved to a new home, and my husband was saying, we need to get our emergency kit back together because we haven't had one for a while. But we have time to plan for a hurricane. So you know several days in advance, and you kind of watch and wait. Of course, you want to have you know your batteries and your radio and those kinds of things, a supply of water and food on hand, and, of course, cash in case you're without power for several days and and you can't go to the ATM. You know, we're going to such an electronic world that people forget to get cash because some people are only debit cards only. They don't even have cash. So those are the kinds of things that we keep around, emergency supplies. Um, So if you know you're in storm season, just take a rundown and go, what do we need in case we lose power? And I'm sure your cities will have um, your, your chambers of commerce will have ideas for how to have emergency preparedness. But um, as we were talking a little bit yesterday, and I said I was really surprised at how resilient we were even in the midst of a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, we were with the hurricanes in 2004, and we lost power both times for, well, close to a week. And oh, while it was hot and wow. muggy, mm. we just survived. You know, the grocery stores opened up enough to give us some food and, and some ice and things like that. And we were grilling out on the grill and <laughs> just learning to make do you know, hooking up with our neighbors to share generators. And it really was amazing to me about how much more resilient I was and that I wasn't feeling like, oh, I need all of my creature comforts. 
Right. And it's a real challenge. And I think we'll find that when we're faced with challenge, we're way more resilient than we think we are. And that's a wonderful point. And it's also a time to unplug because literally you cannot plug anything in, including the Internet, cell phones, all of that, and to connect. And I encourage you listeners out there, please connect with me on Kitchen Chat. I'm here on webtalkradio.net, and I would love to hear from you either at margaret at kitchenchat.info or here on webtalkradio.net, please leave uh, what, a message about what's in your uh, emergency kit uh, for situations like this when the power goes out, if you have to evacuate for hurricane. I'd love to hear your tips and some of the, the food and recipes you bring along in terms of uh, how to survive uh, during those times with food. And speaking of food, we must, must, must talk about your wonderful book, Rachel, Dining Out with Joy. Is that the name of it? Dining with Joy. Dining with Joy. Yes, I love the concept. If you could just give an overview for our listeners and, and give them a little appetizer. Oh, absolutely. This is a really fun book, and I just was thinking one day, what about a cooking show host who can't cook. And I don't know about you, but I've watched a few cooking shows and I was like, I'm not really sure she's cooking. <laughs> um, so I thought, well, what would happen? And I just thought it was a fun kind of, ooh, how do you get into these situations? And oh, fun what if. So Joy is a cooking show host who can't cook. And so I had to do a lot of work of why why can't she cook? Why right. does she do this show? Why doesn't she learn how to cook after three years of hosting the show? Um, why, why is she even doing this? Who's, what's the reason for this? So that I kind of had to do a little bit of psychological work to figure out how she got into this situation in the first place. So it's really fun. It's a healing book. It's a family book. It, it deals some with her relationship with her father, which is how she gets into the show in the first place. She's not trying to perpetuate a lie. She's entertaining. She's acting. And, and she's trying to save everyone else's jobs by doing her job and doing her job well. And, of course, things don't always go like we plan, and she right. runs into a little bit of trouble. But she has a true hero in the name of Luke Redman, who is a true chef, a oh, cowboy God. chef from Oklahoma. A cowboy <laughs> chef. He does, <laughs> by way of Manhattan. And he really does ride in to kind of save the day for her. And it's about really coming to... Uh, truth within yourself. I mean, I think a lot of us, especially women, we end up doing things that we don't really want to do. We don't really intend to do. We say yes to things, even though we're not good at them because we want to serve other people or please other people or in Joyce's case, kind of make up for a rocky relationship with her father, um, Mm -hmm. who was the chef, host of the show before she took over. And I think that, you know, there just comes a point sometimes you have to say, this isn't me. This isn't who I want to be, and I can't let everyone else tell me what to do and how to be. I have to go to God and figure out what are you telling me to do. And there's a lovely verse in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, and the the bride is saying, hey, I'm tired. My They put me to work in the vineyards. We're all familiar with that verse. And, and the sun burned me. And she's talking to Jesus, and she says, why where do you make your flock lie down at noon? So she's basically saying, hey, can I have some lunch and can I rest? Because I'm tired and sunburned and everyone in my church has worked me to death and no one's appreciated me. And Jesus says, you know, hey, go along the path, follow the flock, but do your work in the shade of the shepherd's tents. He's basically saying, 
stay under authority, stay in church, but only do what I call you to do. So that was really Joy's journey. She had to figure out what God had called her to do, not what everyone else had called her to do. And find those shades. And that's so important. That is so important. And you're right. And I think you've you've touched upon a key point uh, about women. So many of us are people pleasers. And it's so hard to say no. And we end up taking care of everyone else except ourselves. Exactly. And end up exhausted and depleted. Depleted and, and depleted. crying out and just saying enough. So I I think we need to give ourselves permission to say no. And that oh, yeah. very small word can be a very huge thing to say, can't it? Oh, yeah, a very powerful thing to say. Um, I'm a pastor's wife, and, and I only do what I'm called to do. I don't have to do anything just because I'm married to him. And he's been right. very generous and um, he's not the senior pastor but a senior pastor and his wife have the same philosophy mm-hmm. so do what God's called you to do because that's how you run the race you can't stay in the race very long and it is a marathon rather than a sprint yes. if we're always yes. saying yes to something because we're just so going to burn out and right. someone else should be stepping up and maybe they can't because we keep saying yes you know so we right. have to say no and and do what Jesus has called us to do and given us grace to do and talent to do. Yeah. Right. So. And the shade. <laughs> and be in the shade, yeah. So Which is very is interesting key. because we often think being under authority or or only doing a few things is not sometimes we kinda of struggle with that. I think it's just human nature to kind of struggle with, you know, authority a little bit or other people telling us what to do. But if we stay in the shade of Jesus' authority, we'll be at rest and we won't be burned which is really so many Christians, you know, get burned. We get burned because we try so hard to love and serve, and people just don't appreciate us. Exactly. No, that's true. Well, those are just wise words to to start this day and and have an emergency preparedness kit. (laughs) Absolutely. But find the shade and experience that grace. So that that is just wonderful, wonderful um, words of wisdom. And uh, in, back into the kitchen with joy. Absolutely. What is, yes. What are some of um, her most challenging dishes that she has to prepare on the air? Well, joy is really, she can't do anything. I mean, that's the whole <laughs> crux of the, I wanted to bring a little bit of comedic element to it that why can't she cook? You know, right. we talk about people who can't boil water. She literally right. can't boil water. And it's kind of a running joke. Um, She's, she can't cook, and so Luke, the hero, is trying to teach her to cook because he's, mm-hmm. he's thinking, hey, anybody can do this, and he's trying to make an omelet with her, and she just can't even make an omelet. Aww. And it's funny, her mother comes in, and her niece comes in, and they sniff the air, like sniff, sniff, and oh my gosh, has Joy been cooking? Is there a fire? <laughs> oh, it's just no. a, it's a constant comedic thing with her. But for her, it was the fact that she felt that food was a barrier between her and her father. And she felt that he loved food more than the family. And so there's kind of more of a more of a psychological limitation to Joy than mm-hmm. physical limitation. Like she's too dumb to know how to cook. Right. But right. Um, And that's probably true with a lot of us as women, too, that we sometimes have more of a psychological reason why we don't like to cook rather than we just don't enjoy it or we're not good at it. But, right. you know, that's the journey of Joy. She, so she can't cook anything. She has lots of challenges, but she's very interesting and very entertaining when she's in front of the camera. That's what she does well, and that's what yeah. she focuses on. So um, she has a 
of course, a prep chef who does all of the main work for her, and she's good at stirring, and she can do that. <laughs> so um, she can't she can't do much, but we ended up teaching. She ended up at the end learning how to bake banana bread, and that oh. was kind of her big. It doesn't sound like much, but that was her big. What could she do at the end of the book that she couldn't do at the beginning? Was feed herself both spiritually oh. and naturally, and she made her father's banana bread, which she learns through the course of the story, was something special he did for her. And we have a very, very delicious banana bread recipe in the back of the book. So if you're a banana bread fan and you like chocolate chips and peanut butter chips and cinnamon, this is a fantastic uh, banana bread. That sounds fabulous. And we'll make sure we post the links to your website. And if possible, I would love to post the recipe for the banana bread. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll we'll get that to you. Absolutely. Oh, that just makes me hungry thinking about that. Now, what has been your own personal fiasco in the kitchen, or have you ever had one? Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, Now, I'm one who doesn't particularly like to cook, Mm -hmm. more from the standpoint of time. And, you know, for some people it's very relaxing, and for some of us it's not. While I do, though, enjoy good food, and I can't afford to eat out all the time, and I do like knowing what I'm eating more than when you go out, you don't always know. Right. Oh, gosh, I have to think of one. Well, I'll tell this really funny one. When I was in, this is probably why I don't like to cook. When I was in um, junior high school in seventh grade, I was in home ec, and we were making some kind of cherry delight dessert. And in my mind, more cherries, the better. So I just globbed on the cherries and the juice on my little plot of dough and cinnamon or whatever was butter, I think, for sure. And Margaret, it just like boiled up and spilled over, oh. and there was actually a fire in the oven. <laughs> oh, so that heart. tends to be my mistake more than anything. Is I put too much. I I don't. Oh, you know, a, a tablespoon of salt. How about a tablespoon and a half of salt or whatever? Right, right. I've had to learn follow the ingredients, and so that's what will make it taste good. <laughs> yes, follow. Yes, follow instructions. That follow instructions. Yes, exactly. But sometimes there are fiascos even when we follow the directions. The unexpected happens. That's that's for sure. I um, a few years ago had a salmon catch on fire in our oven and the fire department came to the house. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's hilarious. (laughs) And my mother-in-law was here to witness it and the fire alarm was going off. Oh, and the dog (laughs) barking. (laughs) Never a dull moment. Food can also be such a gift and a way Absolutely. to nurture and nourish. And I have such a fond memory of my own father um, who stayed home from work uh, like an hour extra or whatever in the morning so he could make crepes for my French class. The French class was first period in high school, and, and this small group, 10 people, came over to the house to have French class there, and my dad served uh, crepes. It was just so wonderful, and, and I just carry that fond memory. Yeah, it's a great memory, yeah. gift, yes. So, so special. Well, I cannot wait to uh, provide the link to Dining with joy. I just love the concept, love the the title. And you have another book that's coming out, which sounds just as fun. And that is The Wedding Dress. The Wedding Dress. Yes. Yes. We have to wait almost a whole year for that. It doesn't come out until next April, but I'm very excited about it. Um, This is about a hundred year old wedding dress. 
that four women wear over the course of 100 years. If you, if anyone's familiar with the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, it's a mm-hmm. little bit of that kind of concept, although it's not that story at all because the over 100 years, obviously the women aren't best right. friends. And the first one wears it in 1912, and the last one wears it in 2012. And then there's two women in between, 1939 Bride and the 1968 Bride. And it really became, the dress as I was developing the story, became a symbol for the gospel that it always fits. Mm-hmm. It never runs out of style. I mean, for each woman, the dress never has to be altered. The dress never wore out. And it, it was timeless, mm-hmm. and it was... Um, fit every woman who wear it and wore it, and so that's the truth with the gospel of Jesus, that it's timeless. It fits everyone who tries it on. It right. never wears out, and it doesn't have to be altered to fit. And mm-hmm. that's really how this dress fit on each of these women. And of course, it fulfilled some desire of their heart about having a wedding dress. The 1939 bride was too poor to have a wedding dress, and so the dress was gifted to her, which the gospel is gifted to us. Right, and in the 1968 bride finds the dress in a trunk in her basement in the house that was once owned by the 1939 bride. So the gospel is uncovered. It's discovered for some people. They really have to kind of go after it and find that buried in his hidden treasure in the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then the last bride, she finds the trunk at a antique sale and she thinks the trunk is ugly as all get out, but she's drawn to bid on it and buy it. So she redeems it. And often the gospel does need to be redeemed by us. We need to go back and say, this is the true gospel. This is the way Jesus is. He's the way, the truth and the life. That's the true gospel and redeem it sometimes from our various philosophies. So it just kind of had this, just this beautiful theme of, of us being the bride of Christ while in the midst of really just telling a great story about these women discovering the dress and how the dress came about in the first place. It's set in Birmingham. We do a little bit of the social, which is your stomping ground. I wanted to talk about that. I can't believe it is set in Birmingham. And in Mountain Brook, where you grew up, too. Yes, (laughs) and it is such a hidden gem there. Oh, Oh, yes, I love it. If you haven't been there, it is it was such a wonderful place to, to grow up. And people don't realize it's at the foothills, you know, it's the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. So there are steep hills, uh, nothing like the mountains in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, by any means, but, but very steep hills. Uh, just oh, yeah. Nestled, nestled, you know, with homes nestled there. And, and uh, of course, uh, this unexpected huge statue called Vulcan, who was the god of steel and iron, because, you know, Birmingham is, of course, that, the city of iron and steel, uh, who just sits atop the Red Mountain and overlooks yeah. Red Mountain Expressway. <laughs> yes, it's a very interesting city. You don't think of the south, you don't think of mountains, but Birmingham is very mountainous, and Red Mountain is a very much a part of that city yeah. and the culture. So it's a very interesting city and very beautiful. I really enjoyed uh, being yeah. there. With some great food, too, and some great <laughs> southern roots. I miss the fried oh, yeah. okra and um, uh, the uh, Whistle Stop Cafe uh, that Fanny Flagg had written about is is based there in Irondale. And um, I should remember the name of that restaurant, listeners. If you can please remind me and send me an email, I'd appreciate it. But it is just a delightful place to go, especially on a Sunday afternoon after church. All the crowds go there and 
you get some great Southern cooking, just some great Southern cooking. So I, I just think oh, it's so yummy. neat that the wedding dress is um, based uh, on characters living in Birmingham and Mountain Brook. That's so special. Really, yeah, it was now, fun. You, it was fun book you, to write. Do you include recipes in that book? No recipes in that book. Um, not even one on how to make a wedding dress. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now, do you yeah, sew? Yeah, it was a little different, little different focus on that right. book. Um, right. Yeah. Now, do you sew at all? Not even a button. Not even a button. <laughs> not even oh. a button. <laughs> I, that's another thing that I've always been fascinated with. And for you listeners who sew, I so admire you. I would love to sew and I've attempted to sew and it looks like I sewed it, you know, just, right. I am right. not talented. God gave me talents in other areas, but sewing was not one. And I really am so impressed with people who can sew and knit. I can crochet a little bit, but uh-huh. What a skill. What a talent. Now, I just love it. You and Debbie McComber are friends, and she's a big knitter, isn't she? She is. She is. In yeah. fact, when I, we get together and brainstorm books um, a couple occasionally, a couple times a year, and she'll we'll be talking writing and brainstorming ideas, and she'll be knitting, and she's a very talented knitter. She does amazing work, and she loves, she loves yarn. She's very much... Um, a yarn connoisseur and she's very gifted in that and very generous with her talent as well. So she's real fun to watch, but I have yet to ask her to teach. Me. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? You should ask her to teach you how to knit. That would be a fun, fun thing to learn. from I don't know. Debbie McComer. Probably, we might not be friends at the end. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, she, she would, she would be a good teacher. She would be. And she wrote that wonderful nonfiction book too. Uh, knit together. Is, was yes. that the title? Yes. yes. Just wonderful. Just she's, wonderful. She's doing some good nonfiction titles these days. Some real, you know, just get to the heart and the core of who are we as people and how we relate to one another. Um, She had the book coming out. Um, I can't remember the theme or the title because I found out about it kind of in the back doorway, but I had shared a story with some writing friends about right after Dining with Joy came out, I was riding my bike. It was Thanksgiving. The day before Thanksgiving, I kind of started having this feeling of joy. And then on Thanksgiving Day, I took a bike ride and a few days earlier, about a week earlier, I had some disappointing news about something that I thought exciting was going to happen, but didn't. But that's the way oh, it is. Right. And but and so I was just overwhelmed with joy, though. On Thanksgiving, I was riding my bike, and I just kept bubbling up with joy and oh. just thinking about just why not have a joy attack instead of a panic attack. And I was yeah. just having these joy attacks. I would I would laugh, and then I would tear up, and then I would laugh, and I'm just riding my bike, and I'm glad no one could really notice what was going on. <laughs> and um, Debbie ended up including that story in this book that she has coming out. So oh. it's going to be a book about, I think, us having these kind of moments with God and where we're, he just kind of invades our world, and it's that little kiss on our hearts that, hey, I'm watching, I'm with you. Right, just a hug from heaven. A hug from heaven. There you go. Yes. I love that phrase, Margaret. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Well, speaking of other wonderful women friends, oh, tell us all about your collaboration with Sarah Evans. Yes, Sarah and I are in the middle of writing um, four books together, and we just finished uh, the third in the Songbird novel series. So that'll be that'll conclude that series for those who, people who've been reading that sweet by and by softly and tenderly. And then the last one's going to be called Love Lifted Me comes out in January and oh. it'll be the conclusion of Jade's story. 
um, just been a real great experience for me. Sometimes when you do a celebrity pairing, you don't know how it's going to go, um, right. how much everyone's going to get in each other's way and how much autonomy we can have, and um, especially for writers. Because mm-hmm. that's basically my job as in the partnership is to write the book. And but she presents all of the story ideas. She's she's the overall artistic control. She's right. the one who set the course for the novels and what she wanted to write about and the themes and all of those things. And then she reads and gives me input. And if I have questions, and we deal with a couple of um, heavy topics in the books, um, abortion, infidelity, just, you mm-hmm. know, what happens when when you tell lies within a marriage, and we deal with some heavy topics, and I ran all those. We talked about all of those. I ran all those ideas by her in the midst of writing. Like, is this what you want to do? Is this is this where we want to go? And so she was a real right. creative consultant Great. and helper. I mean, of course, you know, she's going to be the one, and then she goes out and does her job right. so well, and that's pitch the book, sell the book. And so it's been a really great partnership, and I've really enjoyed um, working with her. She's very, very down-to-earth, very sweet. You can just, the minute you meet her, you feel oh. like she's a friend. That's how I felt anyway. I'm like, it was that like hanging great. out with my sister. Oh, how <laughs> yeah. wonderful. And does she sing for you? I mean, does she, you know, do you ever hear her sing, catch her singing? or? Yeah, she will. Yeah, she will. Um, I was trying to think. You know, usually we're so on focus with the book. But, right. yeah, right. she'll pop into a song every once in a while or she'll something will remind her of a song or a lyric and out it comes. She's really good with that just knowing a bunch of lyrics and can they drop a song in a second oh what a gift to carry a tune oh yeah she's, <laughs> and to do so well she's with an it. amazing and, voice man yeah. if anybody has never heard her sing sarah evans you've got to hear her sing she's just she's got some big pipes wow. <laughs> good and a country music singer She's a country music singer. She just came out with a new album. She had been off radio for several years, and she just came out with a new album, and her first release went platinum, called A Little Bit Stronger, and so she's well on her way. She's really making a a good, strong comeback, so I'm really happy for her because I know she's a little bit tentative, like when you're off radio for a couple years and you haven't had a new album in a while. You know, will your fans remember you? And her fans love her, and she's found new fans. So, oh, that's she's doing well. Great, and she is busy with family too. How many Very kids busy. does she have? She has three children, and her wow. husband have four, and together they so together they have seven. Wow. And yeah, they're they're busy, and but she keeps it going. She balances it all. Oh, that is great. I I think you should encourage her to write a book about how to balance it all. You know, really, she should. I I really think she should. Yeah, she's good at that. And she does do, you know, she's a real mom. She she works her schedule because she's busy and a professional at the same time, but she really works her schedule to be with her family and, and do mom things. She's there for that. Oh, that is terrific. Well, I look forward to um, reading the next book in the series, the collaborative effort you did with uh, Sarah Evans. That's mm-hmm. so wonderful. And you keep very, very busy. You are also a book therapist. I love that concept. Can you share with the leader, with the uh, readers and <laughs> listeners and uh, prospective writers what book therapy is and what it can do for you? Another. Yeah, it's called My Book Therapy, and for those who want to check it out, it's mybooktherapy.com. Um, I run this, or I, well, I don't run it. I work with Susie Mae Warren, who's the founder of um, My Book Therapy. When you recently saw Susie yes, at a weekend conference, we sure did in Atlanta at the Aussie conference. That, yeah, oh, 
such a delight to sit with her. Oh, yeah, she is great fun. But anyway, she um, founded this My Book Therapy because Susie, from from the get-go, even when she first started writing, she just started developing ways and ideas on how to teach writing to other people. And I remember she'd only been published just a, maybe a year or so, and she was at, we were at a conference together, and she was teaching. And I'm like, how does she know what to teach? I was so impressed. But she really thinks about things and breaks it down. And when I was writing Sweet Caroline, mm-hmm. the book that came out several years ago, um, the first in the Low Country series, which Dining with Joy is a, the last in the Low Country novels. And mm-hmm. um, I was stuck. I was really stuck, Margaret. I mean, the book was due in a few days, and I'm like, it's all wrong. <laughs> oh, no. I know it's due in a few days, but help me. And she really came alongside and just kind of helped me refresh my beginning, which really helped me get started. And we just began to talk and work together, and we spent some years brainstorming together. And out of that, she was developing my book therapy, and she said, why don't you work with me? And so I did. And what we do is we just set up programs on how to teach people how to write. And what I particularly do, I'm the therapist of my book therapy, and um People so shall we us, pull up a couch? <laughs> yes, pull up a couch and close your eyes, rest yeah. and listen. But what we do a proposal um, work for a new author. So that would be a synopsis in about mm-hmm. three three chapters, roughly 10,000 words. Mm-hmm. So you send that to us. There's a small fee. But we'll go through it, and I, deci- I help you figure out where you're at, what you need, what you don't need, what's what's good about your story, what needs work about your story. And believe it or not, in, in 10,000 words, I get a pretty good feel if you're on the right track. I know when I first started and I would hear editors say, I can tell if a book is right in the first sentence. I would think, no way, that's just right. too arrogant and that's too painful to hear. But yeah. you really can, by the first three chapters, know if the author has done enough character work and enough plotting to launch the story that's going to you know, go for another you know, eight, seventy or 80,000 words words right so that's what we do at book therapy we have a chat on monday nights that we've taken a break in the summer but we'll be starting back up in september and every year Mm -hmm. we chat about something specific like how to write a romance how to write suspense um we have a blog where we talk about writing and social media we have um articles that you can download so there's all kinds of really great tools at my book therapy to learn how to write a novel and then if you really feel like you're ready and you want to make sure you have something that you think an editor or agent would, you know, hook on to, right. then you can send stuff to us and we'll we'll take a look at it for you. We have a couple services that we offer. But, you know, Susie has written almost 40 novels. Amazing. And she's, she's Amazing. been nominated and won many, many, many awards. Yeah. I've written 15 novels and won a few wow. awards. <laughs> Fifteen, that's huge. <laughs> yes, I know, 15 novels. So I think all that to say, we, we're in your shoes. We know what it's like to be you. We know what right. it's like to start out. I just shared my story, Writing Sweet Caroline, how I was literally days away from it, having to send it to my editor, and I was just, oh, it's all wrong. I was stuck. Wow. So we know what it's like, and we have developed tools that will help you get unstuck. And Susie and I rarely have writer's block. We know what to do when we're stuck. We we call each other to encourage each other. But, yeah, we know how to do the work, and we're willing to teach you how to do it too. And what would you say are the most common mistakes that, that writers make, new writers make? 
That's so funny. I just taught a class uh, um, at a retreat called mm-hmm. 10 Common Author Mistakes. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. I won't go through all 10, all right. but I think one of the um, new author mistakes is you put too much up front. You're, mm. You put too much backstory, like you want to make sure that the reader knows why the character is doing what they're doing, or mm-hmm. you try to layer in too much of um, where they grew up and and familial backgrounds, just too much up front. So that's one of the things. Or if you've done a lot of research, it's very common for writers to put in too much technical detail. And by that, I mean um, historical detail, how um, how something might work. Like they've done a research on how planes work. So they, right. they put in all this detail up front. We call it too much pipe. You're just starting with, you're starting too far back in your story. You're just putting too much up front. Hmm. So that's one of the common mistakes. Is, and is it best to kind of like start off with an action scene, you know, how movies yeah. take place. Yes, just to very start much so. off with that. Yes. Yeah, you want to start off, we call it, I call it anyway, entering early, entering late and exiting early. So you want to kind of jump into the scene as hmm. if the action is already happening. So, happening. Oh. so, you know, a lot of times in an action movie, guns are firing, you know, Ooh. everybody's already on the run, <laughs> bombs are exploding, and you're like, what's going on here? But you're totally drawn in. With a romance, you might see the heroine already at work talking with her girlfriend about a date last night and how her love life is not going well and she's getting discouraged. So you're already dropping into the middle of the problem, and that's this girl is not doing well in her job, mm-hmm. is, is not doing well in her love life, and once again, her mother is on the phone and oh. <laughs> so harassing her about something. So we already see that something is going on with the hero or the heroine, so that's how you kind of want to drop in real quick and okay. and start in the and, middle of the action. It's very good and advice. How do you incorporate that into your latest book, The Wedding Dress? What what action scene do you begin with? I actually buy start a little bit softer than I have in the past, but I actually start with and I was gonna say the wrong name, Joy, but Charlotte. Uh-huh. Actually start with Charlotte buying the trunk that has uh-huh. the dress in it. So we don't know why she's on this mountain because she's she went up there to think and pray mm-hmm. and she comes across this big auction. She forgot that this was the big auction that raises money for literacy. And it's a big mansion out on top of red mountain. Right. And she walks in and she's instantly drawn to this trunk. And so she buys it. And we, we learn a little bit, a little bit about her history in the sense of, we know she owns a wedding dress shop and she's very contemporary mm-hmm. and that um, she doesn't have any family. So we see little tidbits of that, mm-hmm. but we're, we're like, why is she buying this trunk when she doesn't want to buy this trunk? So that's a little bit of her her initial action. Now, speaking of wedding dresses, did the wedding dress that you describe in your book, did it resemble at all your wedding dress? And what was that like? Oh, it does not resemble mm-hmm. my wedding dress. Um, because I was trying to think of something, again, that I thought would at least be sort of timeless but look like it was made in 1912. Oh, and I tell the story, okay. by the way. It's both historical and contemporary. So we do have a 1912 heroine's point of view mm-hmm. and the 2012 heroine's point of view. And there's a reason for wow. that that you learn at the end of the story. Yeah. Uh, my wedding dress, bought in 1992, oh. very typical, you know, just a white wedding dress. Um I loved it, of course. It was very beautiful. Probably if I were to get married now, I would choose something different. Um, I see pictures of it, and I'm looking at a picture of it right now, and it just seems so 
much. It just seems so big <laughs> that um, I would do a lot of things different. But I wasn't one of those girls who dreamed of my wedding day. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be married, but right. I never thought a lot about it, you know. So I just kind of was very easygoing about um, a lot of the details and someone else took care of them for me. Um, but I did pick out my own wedding dress, though. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> no, I'll I'll never forget picking out my wedding dress. I went by myself. Can you believe this? I worked Did in New York Did you really? City. I went with yes. a girlfriend from work. <laughs> yes. Well, it was it was so interesting. You know, my father had died, you know, just um Yes. Yeah, just months before the wedding, but um actually I had picked out the wedding dress before he had died. So he saw a picture of me in the wedding dress, which was really special That's special, I, yeah. Flew down to Florida to plan the wedding. I brought that along um, with me, but I'll never forget just jumping in a taxi uh, from Wall Street, heading over to Brooklyn and going to Kleinfeld's. And it's so funny because that's one of the uh, reality shows now about Kleinfeld's, this huge wedding place in Brooklyn. And can you believe it? I went there by myself, but um, I just fell in love with the third dress I tried on. That's and amazing. then as the wedding got closer, I had to go back, you know, to, to try it on again. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm the only one that's ever seen me in this. And then some friends from uh, the bank went with me. I'm like, can you go with me to Brooklyn right now so I can <laughs> show you the wedding dress? and you know, <laughs> Make sure I did well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just weeks before the wedding, of course. But So, yes, that was that was my experience with uh, that's, the wedding. Yeah. That's actually how I, I came up with the idea. I was visiting a, some, some friends in Nashville. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a girls' weekend, and we were sitting around talking, and one of them recently had married off her daughter, and she was just commented in passing how when she put on the dress – they just knew this is the dress and she related it back to her own wedding where I think she wore a hand-me-down dress and I thought what just in my mind all of a sudden clicked the wedding dress and I thought what's an interesting story about a wedding yes. dress and oh, how would that yeah what if it's worn over 100 years what if four different women wear it and I was they were talking about I don't know something else but I was already creating a story and oh, then I wow. jumped into the conversation with, hey, guys, what about this wedding dress? And they all looked at me kind of like, we're not talking about wedding dresses. Where have you been? Oh, that is <laughs> so, neat. Yeah, it's kind of a fun story to tell about how, the birth of the idea. Yes, and those are always fun. You always like to hear the the story behind the story. Yep. I have a treasure, treasured photograph of my daughter's and my mom's wedding dress. She designed and sewed her own wedding dress. And oh, isn't that it awesome? Was so sweet. When we were um, visiting her in Vero Beach, that's where she had um, lived. Um, this was like a year before she had died. She insisted that uh, Melissa and Katie try on the dress, and and they were much much younger then. You know, maybe nine and six. And I have just a treasured photograph of them and. In my mother's wedding gown. That's yes, that's good. Yeah. So the wedding, a wedding dress carries such significance. Now, any tips you would um, offer uh, any of the brides to be um, uh, about what you know, just anything you found most helpful on your wedding day to have an emergency kit for whatever. What 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 would you pass along? Yeah, I would say just be relaxed. I think one of the things that I learned from watching the royal wedding, I 
don't know how many of you, maybe your listeners watched the Royal Wedding, but I got up and watched it. <laughs> and it was that Kate was having this enormous day, a day like none of us ever could really have. But she was just focused on her hu- husband and she was focused on looking like the girl he fell in love with. And I Aww. just thought that was the most beautiful thing. She didn't let anybody make her into someone else just mm-hmm. because two billion people were going to see her that day. <laughs> you know, like who has the nerve for that? I just Aww. thought she was so beautiful and so composed and so willing to be who she was, the the girl that Will fell in love with. So I think that's the thing I would say to women going forward, young women going forward, be the girl your guy fell in love with. I'm not saying don't maybe do your hair, don't put on a little right, bit of makeup if you right. don't wear makeup. I'm just saying be comfortable in your own skin because that's the girl he fell in love with. And yeah. the other thing I would say is pick a gown that's you. One of the hmm. things I addressed in the in the novel when I was writing the wedding dress because Charlotte the heroine owns a wedding gown um, shop, a bridal boutique, mm-hmm. she, she would advise all the women to find dresses that were them. Don't wear just the current style just because it's the current style. It doesn't make you unique. What makes you unique is finding a dress that's you. And maybe it's different than what everybody else is wearing. And I think that's the thing I would say is find a dress that's really you. Right. And then to preserve it. It's so interesting because you hear all these stories about preserving your wedding gown. And I'll never forget um, uh, watching Lisa Gibbons. Did you ever see that show where – she talked about, you know, how uh, you preserve your wedding dress, you send it off to these places, they return it in a box, and she'd heard all these horror stories that, you know, it, the people opened it years later and it wasn't their gown, and sure enough, that happened to her. So No she, way, really? I've yes, never heard that. I'm like, oh, I've just always remembered that. But it is, however, important to find a reputable place to preserve your dress. Yes. So, you can pass it down for a hundred years. <laughs> I like have <laughs> my grandmother's wedding dress, one of my grandmothers, wow. and she was married in 1925. Wow. And it wasn't well preserved. I have her dress and her shoes. So it's oh. the 20 style, the drop waist. And yeah. it's beautiful, but it's not well preserved. So you do want to do that in case, because it, it does mean a lot to me to have her dress. Yes. Um, but yes. it would need a major work to get it in wearable shape. Right. Right. I guess a tip I would offer to those listeners who are planning a wedding is please remember to eat. Oh, that's I a good one. I did not eat. You know, here was all this great food, and I was just so excited about, you know, being there and meeting with everyone. We got into the car to drive away, and I had to go through McDonald's. I was so hungry. <laughs> I'd forgotten to eat. Sounded so, like a perfect wedding day to me. My man exactly, and my McDonald's. That's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> and it was wonderful. It really was wonderful. But that would be the tip. And I guess from being the host of Kitchen Chat, food is an important, food, <laughs> an important I would matter. Say that's really important to eat because you don't want to get up there and feel weak and faint or anything. Right. Right, exactly. Yes, you need food to to stay nourished without a doubt. Well, Rachel, I cannot believe how quickly the time has flown. We've covered so many wonderful topics. I encourage the listeners out there, please go to Rachel's website, rachelhawk.com, and um, find out more about her books, 
her wonderful Dining with Joy and the Wedding Dress and the many others and her collaborative books with Sarah Evans in addition to book therapy, if, if you need a therapist for your book, uh, Rachel Please is come the see one. Us. Yes, definitely. Yes. And I look forward to that banana bread recipe we will post for you listeners. Um, so thank you, Rachel, so much for joining me here in my kitchen today for Kitchen Chat on webtalkradio.net. It was just a pleasure to have you here. I am so happy to be here. I always love talking to you, and I really appreciate you having me today. Oh, well, thank you. And listeners, please stay in touch with me here on Kitchen Chat as well as with Rachel. And I'd like to wish my daughter, Melissa, a happy 18th birthday today. It's a very special day. And I also want to encourage each of you to savor the day. Till next time in my kitchen, all the best.